0: Well, we started weeks ago now, uh, interrupted by snow and ice. We started a a series called Overcoming Overload. And in in that first, the first part of the study, we talked about uh, why families often feel so overwhelmed by life, so overloaded by life. And I've given them to you in your sheets tonight. We kind of go over them every week. One uh, issue uh, revolves around the pressures of life, life has a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, a lot of things that we 've got to to manage and take care of and deal with and and, and the pressures of life can be can be overwhelming uh, and and we feel overloaded and stressed out all the time because of all of the all of the, the plates we've got to keep spinning, all of the, the, the balls that we're juggling, we've got to keep them all in the air. And so the pressures of life can can lead us to a place of feeling overwhelmed by life. Another one is the pain of life. Uh, life hurts. Uh, we all go through difficult things. We live in a sin-cursed world. And because of that, there are such things as as sickness and disease and natural disasters and... People let you down, and, and, and there are all sorts of things that you and I encounter that are painful. And often the pain of life can just make us feel weighed down and burdened and overwhelmed. Uh, and so that's another issue that we all have to deal with. And another one is, and this is so uh, relevant for uh, 21st century Americans, the pace of life. The Life is so Fast pace, technology uh, it has sped things up. We're not getting any more done, but we're going faster, right? Uh, and and we're we're so busy and so overwhelmed. I was talking to somebody this past week about when I go on mission trips, and I've been all over the world, uh, different countries, different continents, and 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 every time I go into a a third world country type environment, it takes me about two days just to kind of just decompress and get used to the pace because. Now, if you're having training for pastors in Uganda, and you and your start time is you know nine in the morning, you may get started by around 10, 10, 15, maybe, and that you know when I first get there it drives me crazy because I'm you know I want to be on time, I want to be punctual, you know I mean, where's everybody at, you know, and but they come in, they show up, and you get everything done, but it's just they they, they just live at a different pace. Uh, Than we do. And and so, so often we're in the rat race, aren't we? And we, we get up and we've we got to get out the door and, and get breakfast and, and, and fix lunches and drop off here and drop off there and go to work and come home and go to this practice and do this. And uh, listen, it can be crazy. And so the pace of life often has people feeling stressed and overwhelmed. So what's the solution? If we're going to live lives that aren't overwhelmed and stressed, if we're not going to be um, overloaded all the time. What, what is the solution? Well, if you look there in your notes, there are seven solutions. And by the way, these come from a study uh, or a book by Stephen Mary Ferrar titled Overcoming Overload. So I've adapted this study from uh, that book. It's where I got this idea from. And the seven things are, first of all, you need a Savior because if you don't have a Savior, then you have no hope uh, in, in your life. You have no peace in your life. And you've got no contentment in your life. Jesus will give you contentment. Because if you have Jesus, no matter what else is happening in your life, you have enough. Right? Let me say it again. If you have Jesus, no matter what else is happening in your life, you have enough. Jesus is all that we need. And so you need a Savior. But you also need a Sabbath. If you remember, if you were here, we talked about how God has designed that we have pauses built into the rhythm of, of our lives, uh, I talked about the old Coke ad: the pause that refreshes. You know, you take a break, drink a Coke. That's the pause that refreshes. And and the idea of a Sabbath is a pause in your weekly schedule, your work week, your busyness that causes you to be refreshed, uh, to to rest, to reflect upon the Lord, to worship Him, and and having that that. That rest, having that time built into the fabric of your life is so important because if you don't have it and you're burning the candle at both ends, eventually you're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna, you're gonna burn out. And, and we need to obey God in that and, and, and make sure we, we build a Sabbath into our lives. And then last week I wasn't here. I was out of town, but uh, Jason Ford, our missions pastor, taught you about needing a sanctuary. And uh, the gist of that was you need a place and a time to be alone with God, to have silence, to have solitude—you you need you need a sanctuary type place. We'll talk some more about this uh, tonight. Uh, because if you don't have that type of of place, uh, then you're just going to feel frazzled all the time. You need you need a, a quiet place to just have uh, soul restoration time. You know, a quiet time to just recharge your spiritual batteries, and so. You need a sanctuary. Now tonight we're going to talk about how you need sustenance. We'll talk about that in a moment. And then we'll talk about how you need supplication, which is prayer. Uh, And then you need to simplify your life. That's going to be an interesting discussion. You don't want to miss that one. And then we're going to talk about how you need a sovereign. You need to understand that God is in control. No matter what happens, God is in control. So let's talk about sustenance tonight. Our need for sustenance. If we're going to live in a way that we don't feel overwhelmed, stressed out all the time, if we're going to live lives of purpose and meaning, that make a difference for the kingdom, that make a difference for the glory of God. Instead of just being tossed to and fro with life, we are purposeful, we are meaningful, we are accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish. If we're going to live that kind of life, we've got to have sustenance. And here's the, the major thing I want you to walk away with. I have it in bold letters there in your notes. Spiritually malnourished people will feel overwhelmed because they do not have the spiritual strength and wisdom to deal with all of life's issues. Read that again. Spiritually malnourished people will feel overwhelmed because they do not have the spiritual strength and wisdom to deal with all of life's issues. And that statement describes most of the people in our in our nation today. Really does. They're trying to deal with the complexities of life, the hardships of life, the pace of life, the pressures of life. In their own strength and wisdom, they're spiritually malnourished. They don't have the spiritual nutrition that they need. They're weak and anemic, spiritually speaking. And because of that, they just don't have any answers. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. And they are just overwhelmed by life. And so we don't want to be spiritually malnourished. We want to have the the spiritual sustenance that we need to be able to live the way God's called us to live, and to accomplish the things God's called us to accomplish. And that sustenance is, very simply, the Word of God. The Word of God. Now, it's interesting to note that throughout the Bible, the Word of God is often compared to nourishing foods. Uh, For example, turn to Psalm 1910. Psalm 1910. Psalm 19 is a wonderful psalm about God revealing Himself through creation and God also revealing Himself through His Word. Uh, Theologians call that special revelation. It says there in Psalm 19, verse 10, speaking of the the commandments, the testimonies, the precepts of the Lord, the Word of God, more to be desired are they, the Word of God, the, the teachings of the Word of God, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. And so that first blank there is honey. Uh, the Word of God is, is compared to honey, and it says it's better than honey. Just like we, we love the sweetness of honey, the, the, the nourishment of honey, uh, God's Word will give us that sweetness, that nourishment that we need. Do you remember the story over in 1 Samuel of Samuel? I'm sorry, Jonathan, uh, Saul's son, leading the nation of Israel to a great victory against foreign invaders, and they were they had routed the foreign army. They were chasing them through the forest, and they were tired. Remember that. And and Jonathan stopped, and he violated a vow that his dad had made that he didn't know, and that was a whole that's a different sermon. But he stops, and he sees this honey, and he dips his staff in, and gets some honey, and he's revived, and he's able to finish. The battle. Well, God's Word is like that to us. God's Word revives us. It, 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 it helps us to, to have what we need, the spiritual strength and wherewithal that we need to do what God has called us to do. So the Word of God is, is compared to honey. Also, it's compared to bread. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. This is Jesus in the wilderness. After his baptism... It says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In verse 1, it says, After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter, Satan, came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become what? Loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. That comes from the mouth of God. So how did Jesus fight temptation? With the word of God. And he wasn't going to let Satan trick him into, into uh, doing what he wanted him to do. He said, listen, uh, man doesn't live. You want me to make these stones into bread? You need to understand, more than I need bread, I need the nourishment of the word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so God's Word is like bread. It nourishes us. And, and anywhere, any culture, they have some sort of bread staple in their culture. And, and, and we know that bread is very, very uh, important. And, and the Word of God is like that to us. Also, the Word of God is compared to meat. Hebrews chapter 5. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. The Bible says, But solid food is for the mature, but those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, uh, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, to distinguish good and evil. So he's, he's comparing here... Uh, 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 Immature believers to mature believers. Says immature believers are like babies. They all they can do is get by with milk. Because mature believers are like grow, children that are growing. They need solid food. They need they need meat and sustenance. And so, solid food or meat is is a, a comparison here to the Word of God. And then finally, milk. Look what it says over in First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two. I want to show you all these because they're very important, and this is one of my favorites. First Peter chapter two verse one. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is. Good. And so just like a baby needs milk to grow and, and we all need calcium to be healthy, we need milk to grow. We need, we need the milk of God's Word to grow in respect to our salvation, to grow into maturity. And so the Word of God is often compared to these different nourishing foods. Now, these metaphors, comparing the Word of God to food, teach us three things. These are three very important things. First of all, if you look there in your notes, the power of God's Word. The power of God's Word. In other words, God's Word has the, the capacity to change your life. It has the capacity to grow you uh, into maturity. So the Word of God has power. If you, if you expose yourself to the Bible, to God's Word, then the Word will do its work. Because God's Word is powerful. Over in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword. It's alive. The Word of God is alive. And when we. Uh, ingest the Word of God, when we take in the Word of God, when we read the Word of God, when we saturate ourselves in the Scriptures, the Word's going to do something because it's powerful. It's alive, right? This is not some ancient book of, of, of different documents that are unconnected. The Bible is one big story. It's God's Word to us about His redemptive plan for sinners. And if we will read God's Word, it has power to change us, Right? transforming power. As a matter of fact, over in Isaiah 55, the Bible says that God's Word does not return void. When it goes forth, God's going to accomplish His purposes. Something's going to happen. And so the Word of God is powerful, and we learn that from these metaphors. Just like like these foods have the, the capacity to help you to grow and help you to be nourished and healthy, the Word of God has the capacity to change your life and help you to grow and be spiritually nourished. Also, These metaphors help us to understand the necessity of the Bible for a healthy Christian life. It's like a a baby needs milk. You need the Word of God to be healthy, to grow in respect to your salvation. And It's interesting to note that that our churches are full of of believers who have been born again. they, they, They stepped into being a baby Christian but they never really grew. And they've been in that that spiritually immature state for a long time. So wait, how do you know that churches are full of baby Christians? Well, because over in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul's talking about conflict in the church. You know what he chalks it up to? He chalks it up to their immaturity. So whenever you see fussing and fighting and conflict and splits and and business meetings where people are yelling at each other and all that kind of stuff you are seeing a a spiritual nursery full of a bunch of babies who are who haven't grown that's what you're seeing that's what the bible says i'm not making that that's what the bible says right don't 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 get mad at the mailman all right so what the bible says and so uh, we need to grow and, and the Word of God has the 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 power the 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 wherewithal to help us to grow to be a healthy Christian, to grow up and to live the way God intends for us to live, to do what God intends for us to do. So we see here in these metaphors the necessity of the Bible you you listen, you will not grow in your faith apart from regular intake of the word of god it 's just not going to happen it's not going to happen because this is the milk, right? This is the bread, this is the honey, this is the 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 meat. You you will not grow apart from the Bible. And then the third thing is this. We learned that we must have regular intake of the Bible in order to grow. It's kind of repetitive, but just like a baby constantly needs milk, we constantly need me. I have a I have a 7-month-old at home, Connor. And and we don't we don't feed him milk once a week. Okay, that would be abuse, right? He gets milk all the time. All right, we're always feeding him and other food now too. I mean, he's he's all he's always eating or drinking something, right? Because he needs it. And and a lot of us treat the Word of God in that way. In, in other words, we get the Bible once a week. On a Sunday, we come to church or perhaps to our connect group and, and we talk about the Bible then, but we put it on the shelf when we get home and we wonder why we're overwhelmed by life. and We have no answers and we have no wisdom. And we have no strength and we're not growing and we're miserable and there is no peace. And we wonder, it's because we're not growing. We're ignoring the, the pure milk of the Word. So, we must have regular intake of the Bible in order to grow. Now, I want to give you, we're going to get real practical at the end of this uh, time together. I'm going to give you some really, really, uh, hopefully, uh, practical handles for you to be able to incorporate uh, regular Bible intake into your life or to help you hone it a little bit more. But before we do that, I want to just kind of go to a passage of Scripture which gives us a case study um, Dealing with the power of the word. So turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 22. We're going to do a case study about King Josiah. 1 Kings Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 22. I'm sorry. Second Kings twenty two. Second Kings twenty two. I was looking and saying what? So in your notes, right two by the the number one there it says First Kings right. Second Kings twenty two. Now just a little bit of context. Uh, Josiah begins to reign in Judah uh, shortly after the reign of Manasseh and Ammon. And these were the, the Manasseh was was a wicked, wicked king. And so he's coming on the heels of of great idolatry, great wickedness. And it says there that Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Can you imagine an eight-year-old reigning, following on the heels of just great, great evil? But he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Now look what it says in verse 3. Fast forward to verse 3. Well, look back in verse 2. It says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Now here's the question Why? You just had Manasseh. How in the world Josiah, how did Josiah get it right? How did he live in the ways of the Lord when he had no model, he had no heritage of godliness? Well, look what it says in verse 3. It tells us the backstory. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord repairing the house. So they want to they rebuild the house of the Lord, rebuild the temple. They want to see how much money is there, what they have to work with. So Hilkiah the high priest at the time, goes to the temple. And look what it says in verse 8. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. So he's looking around in the temple, and he finds this copy of the Bible, of the law. What we would know as the, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king, reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have had the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes a symbol of mourning. Why? He heard the word of God for the first time and he realized they had not been living according to God's word. So he's mourning. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Akbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Isaiah the king's servant saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. And so he's saying, hey, we need to take this book seriously. Because we haven't been. Matter of fact, he never heard it before. In said, where were all the Bibles? Probably destroyed under the reign of Manasseh. That's how evil he was. But somebody somewhere had stored, maybe under something or behind a wall in a secret compartment, someone had stored a copy of the Bible. And Josiah hasn't read him for the very first time. So what does Josiah do when he's exposed to the, the honey and the bread and the meat and the milk of God's word? Look what it says in uh, chapter 23, verse 1. Fast forward. Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies And his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book, and all the people joined in the covenant. So, what did Josiah do? He got the nation together and just read the Bible. Extraordinary. He just read the Bible. Hey, by the way, that wouldn't be a terrible idea for us, would it? We could use the truth of God's word at times like these. But he got them together and he He read the Bible and great reforms came on the heels of that. A great revival happened in Judah after that. And look what it says uh, in 1 Kings 23, 24, and 25. Fast forward to the near the end of chapter 23. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now look at this description of Josiah in verse 25. Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. How How do you explain that? There was never one like Josiah. There was never one that followed the Lord with all his heart. Answer, he found the Word of God. He was changed by the Word. Look at that statement there in your notes under case study under Josiah. When people who have neglected the Word of God begin to be nourished by the Word of God, their lives will be transformed. That's what Josiah teaches us. When people who have neglected the Word of God begin to be nourished by the Word of God, their lives will be transformed that's exciting isn't it so let's just let's just bring it back to us in this room let's just say that you really haven't been feeding yourself with the word you haven't been taking the Word of God seriously it's kind of hit and miss kind of haphazard here's the good news If you will begin today this week, if you will begin to take the Word of God seriously and instead of neglecting it. Experience, experience its nourishment. You know what'll happen? You'll be transformed. God will change your life. Isn't that good? And that's just really simple, but profound truth. So, I like this quote from Steve Ferrari. Writes, "Young Josiah had never read the Word of God in his life. That is, this is why there was such a great darkness before he came to the throne. The light of the Word of God had gone out in Judah, and the people were malnourished. But rediscovering the Scriptures changed everything. And I want you to know." rediscovering the Scriptures will change everything in your life. It really will, if you'll take the Word of God seriously. So, let's get practical, alright? Let's 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 get down to, to business. How can we, and I'll have time for questions in a, in a bit, but how can we ensure that we have a steady diet of God's Word? How can we ensure that we have a steady diet of God's Word? So let me give you, what, one, two, three, four, five, things here that are going to help you. Number one, get a Bible. You say, wait, that's so simple, that's insulting. It's like uh, Vince Lombardi, famous football coach for the Green Bay Packers. It's uh, been said that on the first day of football practice, he would get his team together and hold up a, a football and say, men, this is a football. And he would start from ground zero with the fundamentals. So they would, they'd have all the bases covered. So you gotta, you got to get a Bible. And I really mean a little bit more uh, when I say that. What I mean is get a reliable translation in a format that works for you. Get a reliable translation in a format that works for you. Now listen, we have no excuse on this one. okay? Because there, is, there has been an extraordinary proliferation of Bibles, even over the last 10 years, that's just amazing. I mean, you, you can get any kind of Bible that you can think of. It's out there. But let me give you just a little bit of, of, of insight, maybe some guidelines to help you. First of all, you need to get a trustworthy translation, all right? A trustworthy translation. Now, I believe the best translations are translations that were done by a committee, a committee. That means that you have a committee of scholars that work together, so they're kind of holding each other accountable to make sure that what they're translating from the original Greek and Hebrew is, is accurate. All right, Not just their thoughts, but they're, they're holding each other accountable to that process. The King James Version was, uh, was translated by a committee that was appointed by King James. And so there's a lot to commend about the King James. Now, I, I don't prefer the, the Elizabethan English because it was translated in 1611. And by the way, uh, I've had people come to me before and say, Hey, Wade, King James only, that's the only Bible version you should use. And I, I don't usually do this because it's, it's kind of snarky and kind of smart But, But if I wanted to, I would say, which of the 800 revisions do you prefer? Because since 1611, the King James Version has gone through 800 some revisions. So when you say King James only, which revision are you talking about? Okay. Uh, and I'm just giving you some information. It's, it's gone through some, 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 some changes um, over the years. But the King James, there's nothing wrong with the King James version. I grew up on the King James version. As a matter of fact, when you hear me quote verses from the pulpit, a lot of times you'll hear me throw a beseech in there or a, or a thee or a ye, because that's how I learned it growing up. Uh, I, I learned Romans twelve one. I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I, that's how I learned it. and So I'll, I'll still quote it like that. Nothing wrong with the King James. Some people just prefer it. They, they grew up on it. They like it. They even like the Elizabethan English. They think it's poetic. They think it. it they, they like the dealing with that. And so... If, if if that's a version that you like, then go for the King James. Nothing wrong with the King James, but it's not one that I prefer because um, it's harder for me to digest the word when I'm reading it in Elizabethan English. So you have some other options. You, they did a New King James, which which kind of smooths out some of the older language, but it's the same, built on the same translation as the King James, the same manuscripts that they use. And... And even since then, there's been some newer uh, translations that have come out that, uh, that have great um, uh, scholarly support uh, that are literal translations, like the New American Standard, which I preached out of for years here at Longview Point, and the ESV, which I preach out of now, the English Standard Version. Both of those are literal translations. In other words, scholars, a team of scholars, went to the original documents, the, 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 the Greek and the Hebrew, and they... They translated it word for word, not thought for thought, but word for word, for the most part. And so, it's so when I read the Bible, I want to know what actually is being said, not what somebody thinks it says, but what actually is being said. And a literal translation gets to the importance of what was actually said in the original manuscripts. That makes sense. Now there are other things like the Living Bible, um, and, you know, some other paraphrases. The message one person did it; they they just they started writing their thoughts, and and those are. Those are paraphrases. Those aren't literal translations. They're basically a person's thoughts about the basic meaning, and they try to put it in their own words to help you to understand it, which can be helpful if you look at it. It may help you to kind of clear up a verse for you here or there, but it's not a reliable representation of what the original language is said or say. Does that make sense? So if you use those it's in some way, shape, or form as a way to just kind of cross-reference... That's okay, but I would not make a paraphrase, living bible um, uh, the Phillips Bible I would not make one of those I would not make the, the message I would not make that my primary translation um, because when again, I want to start with what God actually said, not what somebody thinks it means, but what God actually said. So I, again, I would say King James, New King James, New American Standard, English Standard Version are all reliable translations that are literal translations that will really get you to what the original um, languages uh, convey. And I think that's a good place for you to start. Okay, I think it needs to be your, probably your primary place. Now, if you want to read others from there that might help you, then do that. But but I think that's a, you, need, you need one of those literal translations close at hand as you are reading through um, God's Word. So get a reliable translation in a format that works for you. Now, when I say uh, format that works for you, what I mean is a, a Bible that it, that fits your needs. All right? For example, you may prefer a study Bible. And there are tons of study Bibles out there, which are really good. And I can, we can talk later if you want some, some specific recommendations. Uh, I use a study Bible for my personal Bible reading, for my sermon preparation. I have my study Bible open in front of me. Um, I, I love it. It's the ESV study Bible. I love it. I, I, I was... Uh, I'd been I I was hearing that it was coming out. I'd been studying uh, or reading about this ESV Study Bible, and it came out in October of 2008. And I was it was like the Apple iPhone for me. I was there, I was there at Lifeway before they opened up. I was the only one there, and 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 I could not wait to go get my ESV Study Bible because I'd been reading about it for, for years, and they finally released it. And I was lined up, and they came and unlocked the door, and I went straight back and got my. And I love it; it's a great. Gives you a lot of good information around the biblical text, and so that's a good one. Uh, MacArthur Study Bibles are always very good and reliable, and there's there's some good ones out there. So uh, you may prefer Study Bibles. You may just prefer Maybe, maybe use other tools to study, and you don't need the study Bible notes. You just want just the Bible, all right? So you get like a thin line Bible or just some Bible. It's just, just Bible text, and that's what you, that's what you primarily use. Or, or you may have some other type of Bible format. You, you, you may have a, an app on your, on your iPad or on your iPhone that, that uh, is the primary thing that you use. Uh, but find a format that works for you, all right, that you're going to utilize, that you're going to enjoy, and a Bible you're going to enjoy, a good Bible, and uh, and and get that Bible in place. That's important. Get a Bible you love. All right, get a Bible you love that you just can't wait to open up and and get into. Okay, so get a Bible. Number two, and I know I probably raised some questions on the translation stuff. So if you want to ask questions, you can ask them when we're through in a, in a few minutes. Number two, have a plan. Have a plan. I believe we need to read the entire counsel of God's word, because if we're just choosing where we're going to read day to day or week to week, say, okay, I think I feel like reading today. I don't know Psalms. All right, you're gonna read Psalms, and if you're choosing, you're probably gonna read Psalms a lot because the Psalms are they're just really fun to read, aren't they? They're just they're they're understandable. There's all kinds of emotions in them. They're poetic. They're just beautiful, aren't they? the Psalms are beautiful, right? And, if, and if, I, if I'm choosing, if I just make up my own mind what I'm going to read every day, I'm probably going to read the Psalms a lot throughout the year. I'm probably not going to choose Obadiah or Zephaniah or Numbers or Leviticus. I mean, that wouldn't be my first choice. But listen, Obadiah is just as much the Bible as the book of Psalms. God spoke and gave us Obadiah, Right? So we need to take Obadiah just as seriously as the Psalms, which means we need to make sure we have some kind of plan to make sure we're reading Obadiah every so often. And we're reading Numbers and we're reading Philemon and these books that that have a tendency to be neglected by us. And so don't just leave it up to your waking up in the morning and saying, okay, what am I going to read today? Because you will skip large portions of the Bible. You need to have a plan. You need to have a Bible reading plan that's going to walk you through systematically the entire Word of God over a period of time. Now, I prefer, nothing magical about this, but I prefer a yearly Bible reading plan. Okay, Again, nothing magical about a year. God didn't say read the Bible every year through every Every 365 days, read through the entire 66 books. He didn't say that, all right? But a year is a, a unit of time that we, you know, we deal with. We understand it's the end of one thing, beginning of a new thing. So it works for me to read the Bible in a year. And I think it's a very reasonable goal. It's not overwhelming. If you have a plan to read the Bible in a year, you just got to be consistent because once you get behind, then it gets overwhelming. But if you'll be consistent, you can read the Bible through in a year um, pretty, pretty comfortably, pretty comfortably. Now, I use, and I'm giving you some recommendations there, I use the um, Discipleship Journal Bible Reading Plan. I meant to bring a copy in here with me. It's just a little, a little pamphlet. We have some in the office, and it has just it has your uh, readings every day with a checkbox. And so when I get done with you know, the date, I just check it and go to the next, the, the next day. And it, keeps, it helps me to keep track of where I am. You can find it online as well. And the reason I love the Discipleship Journal Bible Reading Plan is because I read from four different places in the Bible every day. Okay, So I'm experiencing uh, exposure to a lot of the Bible um, every day. And it's really pretty cool because you start to see connections uh, in God's Word. Uh, For example, one day I was reading, I think it was Job 18 or 19, somewhere in there, and it's where Job cries out, Oh, I wish that there were someone to come between me and God, to be an arbiter, someone that could come between us so we could we could talk and have a relationship and deal with this pain I'm experiencing. And then my next reading was in 1 John 2 that says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. I thought, man, that's cool. He was wanting that advocate. The advocate is Jesus. And you start seeing those connections in God's Word as you read through uh, it systematically. So, um, like today, I read um, from... I had a passage in Deuteronomy I read, I read Psalm 68, uh, I read Matthew 27, and I read Romans 13. So, uh, so that was my reading for today. And I'm just working my way through uh, this Bible reading plan. Here's the great thing about it. It's, there's 25 readings a month. So do the math. It gives you five or so flex days every month. So if you get behind, you've got some catch-up time. Or you can just go get ahead. You can get ahead. You finish number twenty-five, and you got five days left. Much, so keep on reading and get ahead a little bit. So I love. I, I like that. I just there are times, you know, I'm, I'm I'm up really early to go, you know, go somewhere or get on a plane or drive over here or take care of this or make this appointment, and and it, and it's so early. I'm doing good just to get out of the house. I don't have time for a, a leisurely Bible reading session. And so there's times I have to catch up, and and there's other times I get ahead, and so it really works well for for the rhythm of my life. And so if you, if, you don't, if you say, I don't know what to read, what should I do? Discipleship Journal Bible Reading Plan is a great one. I really, really like it. Um, also, um, Chronological Bible, a one-year Bible. How many here use Chronological Bible? you use Chronological Bible? Well, good good number of you guys. And Chronological Bible, another great way you, you get a Bible, one-year Bible that's, that's arranged in Chronological Reading, so it takes you through the Bible, not in its kin- canonical order, uh, but it's chronological order, which is really fascinating. If you haven't done it before, uh, I would recommend it because it's a really fascinating way to do it, and it's really powerful. Personally, just just personally, it takes me too long to get the New Testament, so I, I, I like I like to be when I'm reading Old Testament, New Testament every day. I like I like that broader exposure every day. But it's, there's nothing wrong with chronological. It's a great way to do it. Everybody ought to try it at least once um and and once you do it you may love it it may be your yearly bible reading plan nothing wrong with it it's great um they have some really cool bibles that are laid out for you to take you through a year so chronological bible is a great way to go open windows you know lifeway puts out this little this little pamphlet called open windows how many anybody here use open windows one anybody else goodness how times have changed every southern baptist used to have open windows But open windows is really neat because they have little devotionals and they have scripture readings. And and if you follow the scripture readings, it'll take you all the way through the Bible. And they also have missionaries in there for you to pray for. Missionary birthdays, you can pray for missionaries. And so uh, you can get that online as well. Type in open windows on Google. Uh, And there's some more. If you you just go to Google and type in Bible reading plans, there'll be pages of things that come up. So I guarantee you can find something that works for you. Okay? Something that, that works good for you. So... Uh, you need a plan. So get a plan and hey, you say, wait, it's already March and I don't have a plan. I didn't do anything this year. Start today. It doesn't matter. Just get a plan and start tomorrow morning. Get a plan and start tomorrow. Uh, nothing magical about January. All right, Just start systematically. And, and you may take a plan. You may take the discipleship journal Bible reading plan and say, there's four columns. I'm going to read through the first two columns this year and the next two columns next year. I'm going to break down the Bible in two sections, if you will, and read it in two years. Nothing wrong with that. Because, again, you're, you're, you're systematically exposing yourself to the Word of God. All right? You're going to make sure somewhere in there you're reading Obadiah. Can I get an amen? All right? Or Habakkuk or whatever. The books we did. When's, when's the last time you read the book of Jude? All right? Uh, so so, so we, need, we need to read it all. Um, and, and just stick with it. Just stick with it. The other day I was reading Numbers, and uh, you know, and it's where God comes to Moses. He says, "I want you to take so and so and so and so." He starts naming them by now, so and so and so and so, and take a census um, so that you know how many fighting men you have. And you're reading through this long list of names, and you know, I just, I just, I just, just gonna read. I just read them, you know. And I started thinking, man, this is kind of tough. This, you know, and you know, is there anything in here for me to just kind of take away from this reading of the names? I sat back and looked at the passage, just Numbers 1. And uh, I went back to where it said, The Lord said to Moses. And I started walking through those names. You know who was giving those names to Moses? God was. God knew every one of those men by name. And I thought, wow. God really does know our name. And not only that, He knew their family. So-and-so, son of so-and-so. He knows us, He knows our family, knows our future, He knows everything, Right? The God of the universe knows my name, and so that was just—I was reading through numbers, just kind of working my way through a long list, and I had—I had a little hallelujah moment. All right, it was good stuff. He knows our name, and so just—just just stay with it, even if it's a long list. Just read through it, all right, because God inspired it for a reason. And I promise you, the more you expose yourself to those hard books, the more you'll start to see the connections in the Bible. And it'll become more and more clear year by year, and you'll get more and more excited about it. So, find a Bible, get a Bible, and have a plan. Everybody clear on that? All right, third, have a place. Have a place. This goes back to sanctuary, which you talked about last week. Um, Now, you don't want to be legalistic here, okay? You can read your Bible in four different places, and every time you read it, have an encounter with God because it's God's Word. So it doesn't change because you have a certain place. But there's something, I think, that is special about having a designated place that you meet with God because that place becomes holy ground. That's in your notes, by the way. When you have a regular place to meet with God, uh, it will become holy Ground. It just becomes a spot that's very special to you. That doesn't mean that that you can't have other places, or you might have many different places. You may have a busy morning, and you have time to read at your place, and you have to read at your desk at work, or you know, on the commute, you have to listen to it on your uh, iPhone. You know, have the Bible read to you, or whatever. But but there's something about having a place, a place where you meet with God. That's just uh, that's just encouraging. It, it becomes special because you know that's the place that God has spoken to you day after day and month after month and week after week and year after year. Uh, it's just neat to have a place, and so that place becomes special, becomes something you look forward to. And so, designate a place, build it, build. What you're doing is you're building consistency in your life. Okay, this this is my Bible. This is my plan. This is my place. See the consistency happening there? Instead of haphazard, and I'll get, it, get to it if I have time, th- th- I have all these things ready to go. All right? Have a place. Next, with God's help, and underline that phrase, with God's help. If you try to do Bible study in your own strength, you're going to fall flat. With God's help, begin your reading plan and discipline yourself to be consistent. Begin your reading plan and discipline yourself or continue your reading plan if you're in one now, and discipline yourself to be consistent. It takes discipline at first, you know you may have to just you may have to just work hard out you may have to put some some you know a a, a a sticky note on your bathroom mirror saying, "Hey, read your Bible right or a note on your steering wheel at, at in your vehicle, or you may have a friend that's an accountability partner. And, you know, they're going to call you later and say, hey, did you read your Bible today? All right. And you call and ask them the same thing. But some kind of way to help you to be consistent and to build it into the rhythm of your life. Because here's what will happen. And I, this is, this, listen, I promise you this will happen. All right. Here's what will happen. This is in your notes. If you will be consistent, duty will turn into delight. At first, it may feel kind of like a duty, like I gotta, I need to get, okay, I gotta read Numbers today. I gotta read Numbers chapter, you know, two, and it's a long list of names. But I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it, you know. And it feels like duty. It feels like you know discipline, and it is because you you have to build that habit in your life. But pretty soon, if you will be consistent, that duty, sense of duty, will turn into a sense of delight. And what will happen? I promise you, if you'll be consistent, what will happen is. You'll get to a place in your Christian life where you cannot wait to get back to your place with your Bible, with your plan, alone with God. Because it's holy ground. It's where God changes your life. It's where God speaks to you. It's where God transforms you. It's, it's special. It's, 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 it's There's nothing like it. And I promise, if you'll be consistent, you say, well, I can never imagine delighting. If you'll be consistent, you will delight in reading God. You will not be able to wait to get back to that place, and get back into the Word. And so, make sure that you, with God's help, begin your reading plan. And hey, ask Him for help. God, help me. Help me to be consistent. Help me to speak to me through this. Lord, open my eyes. I, every time before I I read my Bible, I quote uh, Psalm 119. And I think it's verse... Is it? I'm not sure. 4787? But Psalm 119 where it says, Open the eyes of my heart that I may see wondrous things from your law. I pray that every time before I read the Bible, open the eyes of my heart that I may see wondrous things from your law. Lord, show me some things here. Uh, Transform me uh, as I read your word. So, with God's help, you begin your reading plan, and that discipline, that duty will eventually be transformed into delight. And you just, you'll get to a place where you can't imagine your life without. This consistent, regular intake of the Word of God. You won't be able to imagine your life without it, really. And here's the the last thing. and Now we're getting to kind of the next level of what you do with the Bible. But, But meditate and memorize. Meditate and memorize. Look in Psalm 1 with me very quickly. We'll take some questions here in just a second. We're almost through. Psalm 1. Verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, notice that word delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So, let me ask you a question. Do you want to have a... Do you want to be well-grounded and stable. Raise your hand if you do. Okay. Do you want to be fruitful? Raise your hand if you want to be fruitful. The key is right here. Delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night. And that's the kind of Christian you'll become. Grounded, stable, strong, and fruitful. That's the kind of Christian you will become through meditation. Uh, Quick word on meditation because our idea of meditation... Has really been um, has been um, twisted by Eastern religions, you know, Eastern mysticism. Because we think meditation, we think of you know a guy in orange robes going hmm, you know, right, sitting cross-legged in the lotus position or whatever. We we, we think that's what we think when we think of meditation. That idea of meditation could not be further from the biblical use of the word meditation. See, Eastern mysticism, Eastern. Religion is all about emptying your mind and coming to a place of nothingness. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? Empty yourself of all desire, just come to a place of nothingness, kind of you know, neutral in your mind. The Bible idea of meditation is you fill up your mind with truth, and you dwell on it, and you think about it, and you think about how it applies to your life. And so Eastern mysticism, empty your mind. Biblical meditation, fill up your mind with the truth of God's words. So it's a totally different deal. So don't, don't, get, uh, don't get led astray by the word meditation. It's, it's the filling up of your mind with the word of God. So here's what it means. It means, listen to me, this is so important. It means, af- well, let me ask you a question first. How many of you have ever read your passage for the day and 30 minutes later if I came up to you and said, hey what'd you read this morning in God's word? You would have no clue. Have right? you ever been there? I've been there. There, there, the other day I was saying what did I read this morning I couldn't think of it but the way to get it down into your heart and into your soul and 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 embedded in that truth embedded in your mind is to after you read just spend some time thinking about it a really effective way to meditate is to is to talk to God about what you've just read just hey, hey Lord I saw this morning your word that you knew these men by name and and you knew about their families and their backgrounds, like I'm so grateful that you know me by name, that you care about me that much that you that what what, what am I, who am I that you would be mindful of me, but you know my name you know you know my name and so just by talking to God about that truth that I saw in god's word I'll, I'll never forget that i'll never forget it right and, and or that the day I read about the the, the job's desire for a uh, an arbiter a mediator and then jesus is our advocate with the father lord jesus thank you for being my advocate with the father thank you for being my high priest thank you for coming between me and god being the one mediator between god and man that you might reconcile me to holy god thank you jesus for what you've done for dying for my sin right so you just talk you're talk. when you talk to god about what you've read it helps it to take root in your mind and in your heart Does that make sense so pray about what you've just read one of my there, there, Again, this is the way I do it. It's not right or wrong. It's just the way I do it. What, my ideal, I, let's say it like this. My ideal day is to read God's Word, and after I read, to exercise. And when I exercise, that's when I'm thinking about what I just read. That's when I'm praying, or if I'm jogging or walking, whatever, I'm thinking about what I read. I'm talking to God. I'm praying. And that works really good for me. Uh, because it helps the exercise not to seem so bad, first of all. And and, and second of all, it, it just helps me to 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 not leave the Word behind. Just because I closed my Bible doesn't mean I've left the Word of God behind. I'm thinking about its implications for my life. And so you need to f- build something in your life after you read. Maybe it's just, hey, you're, you're done with your Bible reading for the day, and before you get in your busy day, you close your Bible, pull up a cup of coffee, sit back, and just kind of, you know, think about what you just read, and think about its implications for your life. Talk to God about it, and it can be a great lead into your prayer life. But that's a we'll get into that some other time. We'll get it next week. We'll get into that, and then memorize. Turn over to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. I promise we're almost done. Psalm 119. If you're still with me, say Amen. All right, look what it says in Psalm 119, verse 11. The psalmist here says, I have stored up, by the way, Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Bible, longest chapter in the Bible, the entire psalm is about the Word of God. And in verse 11 he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will me- Watch this, I will meditate on your precepts. And fix my eyes on your way. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I will not forget your word. So the idea here is meditation, memorization, which they go hand in hand. Um, I would encourage you to just start learning some verses. Um, and, and, And start small. Like maybe, if you've never done this before, just start with one verse a week. Listen, if you did one verse a week, that's 52 verses which is probably more than you did last year, right? Right? Yeah. I mean, Fifty verses, that's not insignificant. Um, or maybe try maybe a meaningful passage. Try memorizing Psalm 23 or the Lord's Prayer. Uh, or just some, some longer, the, the fruit of the Spirit, just some passage that's meaningful to you, and you try to memorize you know, two or three or five or six or ten verses, or maybe an entire chapter of Scripture, uh, maybe take bigger chunks, whatever works for you. Or, or maybe there's an issue in your life. Okay? Maybe you're dealing with anger or whatever. Whatever. And you find a Bible verse that just speaks to that issue, and it helps you, and it encourages you. Memorize it. Put it on a uh, index card. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Put it on your steering wheel. And after, before long, you'll have it down. And and when you when you when you hide His word in your heart, it'll surface when you need it the most. Amen. So memorize. All right. Start slow. Don't set some huge. Don't say, "I want to memorize the Book of Genesis by, you know, May." All right. Just, hey, one verse a week would be super, okay? And and just begin to memorize God's Word and see how God uses that. There's a, there's a system called topical memory system by the navigators. You can get it at the bookstore. It has little cards. It walks you through all these verses that deal with different topics, which is very helpful. So if you can get a little more intense with that, get a partner. Uh, but, but meditate and memorize God's Word, and that'll help God's Word to really take root in your life. Not just something you read, close your Bible, and you can't Remember, think about it 30 minutes later, but, it, but it's, the Word stays with you throughout the day.